This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 156. We are talking, well, pandemic as we always are, although this is through the context of doing a listener Q&A and people's Q&A stuff tends to be focused on what we're dealing with now. But uh, before we get into that, Sarah has a little uh, semi-professional sort of our our side gig uh, announcement. Sarah, you want to tee that up? Yeah. So my first episode, actually my first two episodes of my new planner podcast will launch in the coming Monday on August the 3rd. So we're so excited. We are going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into what this podcast is going to be like on next Tuesday's episode. I wanted to do it that way so that you guys can while you're listening, go ahead and add that to your (laughs) downloads right as you're doing it. Um, I'll be so excited to have some of you join me there. And I'll talk to you more about it next Tuesday. Yay. So you can now get Sarah twice a week, which is great. Um, And read her blog as well. So please check out Best Laid Plans when that launches in a couple days. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our 
listener questions, right? Or Yes, although maybe you should share some of your happy news this week. You had a really awesome launch That's of your true. new ebook. Yeah, so the New Corner Office is out in the world if people want to get it. It's an ebook or an audiobook. Um, and Apple chose it as one of their must listens for July in their Apple books section. So that's pretty exciting. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of publicity for it. I recorded a whole radio tour yesterday on a lot of different radio shows and podcasts. So hopefully people will be able to listen to me in various places talking about it. So cool. That must have been such a fun surprise. Like, whoa, I'm on Apple. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to just get down to what a lot of you guys have been, you know, I put out a call on Instagram, as we do. And this episode is a little bit special in that, you know, a lot of times we record really in advance, which, you know, is helpful for us. But um, because I've been a little bit more flexible recently, knowing that I have every Thursday essentially off, we've been able to record a little bit closer to the air date. So these questions are pretty hot off the press. I think I put out the call for them on like Tuesday the 22nd, and this episode is going to air on the 28th. So these are your freshly baked questions um, and not a huge lag time for once. So I'm happy about that. Also, we had a guest and had to reschedule that one. (laughs) Yes, we had a guest get sick and we hope that she's doing okay. Um, But we will look forward to welcoming her in the future. All right. So the one question I got, many permutations of the same question, and it's what seems to be dominating my podcast feed, or at least all the parenting podcasts that I listen to right now are, drum roll, just kidding. Um, (laughs) What are your plans for school in the fall? Mm, a hot button question for reasons I don't really understand. I wish people could just choose if they have a choice, like what they're doing, and then be happy with their choice and let other people be happy with theirs. That sounds like quite an idea. <laughs> I, I can see why there's thirst for, um, for different because nobody knows what to do. So it's just helpful to hear what other thought processes are. And there is the tendency in our culture, at least as it stands with social media, to kind of look up to certain people. And so you kind of want to know, oh, what did they do? So I get it. I mean, I, I, I know what you mean. Like, I guess what you're trying to say is it's really a very individualized choice. So in a way, like, you can't look at anybody else's decision or thought process. Um, and use that to make decisions for yourself because all the variables are probably going to be different. Um, but people still want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah, what are you doing? Yeah. So as of now, and again, who knows, um, things could change, but I did make the decision to enroll my rising first grader in a private school, which is the same school that my toddler attended. It's like a Montessori that goes all the way through middle school. I really liked the school. And to be completely transparent, um, my husband and I were considering having him make this transition anyway, just because of his learning styles and fit with the traditional public school mm-hmm. setting. Didn't go completely bump free <laughs> in his last year. So before we even got to the three months of distance learning. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So this was not like a, a fresh new idea. We had thought about it anyway, but then having gone through those months of distance learning and observed that certain things were just not, you know, it seemed I don't want to say like emotional damage, but it was taking a toll on all of us. And I don't think there was much learning happening. And I also don't want, I don't know, I don't want to have him look back and think of his beginnings of school being traumatic and therefore 
have like a forever hatred of learning develop. Plus it was just sort of torture personally. So for many, and I think our nanny was also struggling completely understandably because, you know, she's a fantastic nanny, but she's not really a teacher and neither am I and able to care for two older kids with complicated teaching schedules while watching a toddler. So I knew that I wanted, if possible, something different than what we were doing. And so um, this school has very small classrooms and is able to separate the kids into pods and they're planning on an in-person start to the school year. So I um, called them. They initially did not have a spot and then one opened, so I took it. So he and Genevieve will be going and Annabelle will be continuing virtual school at home through our public school system because for her, it worked pretty well. And so I don't see any you know, reason to change things on that note. Sounds good. Yeah, we don't start till after Labor Day, so it's unclear. Um, at this point, they haven't announced what's going on yet. I have high hopes for in-person in our district. Uh, Pennsylvania got slammed with COVID in the spring, but the net result is that the caseloads are relatively low here at the moment. Obviously, that could change. The issue I see with this is that people are going to be really trigger happy with closing stuff. So if, for instance, you know, a close family member of a kid tests positive, it is entirely possible that they will then send that class home for two weeks. Like, and it's ridiculous, but it could totally happen. And so I think everyone needs to be prepared for that, understanding that there's going to be massive gaps in, in this So, I mean, our preschool is supposed to be open in person. Um, That is their stated goal. So Alex would at least be there for half a day. He's supposed to be in the public school for half a day. I hope that the public schools will open, that if they do a hybrid model, the elementary school will go full time and they'll have the older kids do distance learning or something. I, from what I read, at least our superintendent is looking at this more as an equity issue, which to be as great as opposed to like, let's listen to the people who think that any risk ever is bad because they're not evaluating that there's always risks of everything. Um, But you never know. So uh, we, you know, have a full-time nanny for the baby. So that's great. But I'm planning on having at least a second part-time person. And my goal is to hire somebody who's got some flexibility so that if we do have kids home at various points, we can double up there um, and, and uh, you know, have coverage in that sense. Because, yeah, I same thing with the, the little kids. The distance learning is really, really hard. Um, Jasper did fine with it. Uh, and I think that's probably the case that a lot of people are experiencing that, you know, middle school and high schoolers have a bit more ability to do it well, um, whereas young children, it's very challenging. Um, so I'm would love to send the kids in person five days a week. And that is my hope that that will happen. If it doesn't, I will deal with it. And we hope we do understand other perspectives. If you feel differently, if your risks are different, if you have a medically complex child, if you are just have different calculations of what kinds of things you're willing to accept. I mean, I personally think that's completely valid. So I hope that that goes both ways and we don't get too much angry. (laughs) Whatever. I mean, backlash. People should just do what they want to do and you don't need to criticize other people. And that's the thing that's really bothering me. Did you see that love? There's there's a great meme about that, that I actually really like, like a positive meme. And it said something like, 
You're choosing to homeschool, your reaction should be, I'm so proud of you for making that decision. You're choosing to send of your schools, sending your children to school, I'm so proud of you for you know working hard <laughs> to make that decision. You're choosing to do X, Y, Z, I'm so proud. So we should all, I guess the, the take home is like, we should all support each other and be proud of the parents for going through a thoughtful process to figure out what's right for their kids, whatever their choice may be. All right, yay. <laughs> Moving on, we're never gonna get through all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you inquiring minds wanted to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, ooh, here's a good one for Laura. Hopefully she's willing to answer it. Do you prefer the trade-off of Michael being home more plus the kids being home? Or was it better when he was going on business trips and your children got to go attend school? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the trade-off of this, right? That the same thing that has kept them home has uh, kept him home too. And presumably as it becomes possible for them to go back to school, he will be back uh, with um, doing what he had done before as well. Ah, I don't know. I mean, I I hope for a situation that it's dialed down a bit. Um, I certainly think that business travel will change in general, um, partly because you know, the whole consulting thing, you go to different companies and that's more of a viral transmission risk than somebody who just goes to their pod of colleagues. You know, you work with the same 10 colleagues over and over. You're not being exposed to a whole lot of new stuff. Whereas if you're sending people from company to company, there, there's more of that. So I assume that a lot of that will continue to be distance for a while. So Theoretically, we could, I'm, I'm just such an optimistic person, we'll get a world where the kids go back to school, but he's still like working from home. <laughs> and that's what we call best of both worlds. I was just thinking that if, if some of the companies that he would consult for are now figuring out that remote work is better for their employees, there may not be as many physical spaces that he would need to go to anyway. That's my optimistic. Yeah, and well, and everyone's gotten used to this idea that you can say pitch business over Zoom. Um, and it, given that the whole concern was like, well, if somebody's paying you big bucks, you want to be there in person, right? Like, I mean, maybe in the future they'll get back to that, but at the moment, a lot of that has changed. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, I like I've been asked this question in my radio tours about twenty times, like, how is the work going to change? And I do think a lot more places will shift the balance of how often you are supposed to be anywhere in person. And generally, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, so much of gas and time has been spent with people commuting just to email and call people in other places. So I'm, I'm glad to see that change in how people work. Awesome. Good answer. All right. Question three. Do you have your kids do any chores? Any suggestions for age four and six? I will preface this by saying that um, there is a reader of my blog who has her own blog called Grateful K, K-A-E. It's very nice. She kind of has done a daily pandemic streak for the most part as well. And she posted about chores on Instagram on her personal account. And she hashtag chores. And this angry mob of <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> people like comment after comment about how like having your children do chores is abusive. And she's what? like, but I'm just trying to get them to clean up their toys. Like what What on earth? How is that abusive? Like, what do you think she's doing? Like, it's not Cinderella scullery it, maid. <laughs> it, it was very, it seemed very niche. It was, it was clearly like one group of one people. group of people are a little bee in their bonnets about something. <laughs> like 
Really? So anyway, <laughs> don't ever post with a hashtag. If you're going to post, just don't use that hashtag, apparently. <laughs> oh, poor Kay. I know. I so, so I will answer for myself in that I am open to my children doing more chores. I'm sure, certainly not anti-hashtag <laughs> chores. We don't have them do that many chores right now. They, they are supposed to bring their plates to the table after dinner. They do have to clean up toy messes that they themselves make, although that can get a little hairy because the biggest mess maker is the least able to clean up. Yeah, right yeah now. exactly. So there can be little tiffs about that. But a lot of times we just sort of say, well, that's fine. You know, you don't have to clean up, but you're not watching a movie until this house, you know, doesn't have a layer of toys on top of it. And so that's sort of considered their chore and they'll do it. They are, they sometimes help set the table. I would like to get them to do that more consistently. The, I find that they're so grumpy at that particular hour that it's hard to get them to comply. Like I think they'd probably set the table for breakfast pretty happily, but that before dinner is is not not anyone's finest moment. And then I will say they are very eager to help with cooking. <laughs> but it's not at least want them to help with terribly helpful. What about you guys? Yeah, we go through patches of being better and worse about this. Like I was teaching kids how to do dishes. So that, you know, happened for a while. But then, you know, you have to keep asking them to like, you know, go do it and assign somebody and there's always grumbling. But the one problem is, you know, I, I have sort of three children close in age who are quite capable of helping to empty the dishwasher. But if I find like one of them who's in the kitchen to do it, I'll get a lot of grumbling, like, well, I can't, no one's so help. Or, you know, if I ask all three of them to do it, then there's a murderous rampage about like who does the easiest part, which I think is putting the silverware away, I think, yeah, with, with various arguments about who's tall enough to reach the dishes and other such things. We're, we're definitely working on they all need to put their own clothes away after laundry is done. But then God, it just sits in the hallway for days. <laughs> to be fair, don't don't your clothes sometimes sit places? Yeah, yeah, my clothes will sit in the hallway for days too. So on some level, I was like, well, I mean, I, I my daughter went to her grandparents for the weekend and her little backpack was still sitting there full of clothes. And I'm like, well, on the other hand, my suitcase from the beach is still there. <laughs> <So> <laughs> slowly emptying out again. Um, I love it. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to get back to the next question. All right, we are back with question number four, which I think is a fun one because I always like discussing anything finance or personal finance. Where do you skimp and where do you splurge? Ooh. You want to go first? Um, well, I'm not a huge splurger on all that much. Um, I mean, I guess probably relative to the average person, stuff like childcare, um, you know, we live in a larger house than the average family because there are more of us, for instance, but, uh, books, I have definitely decided that I'm a-okay with spending whatever on ebooks because it's something I can do while nursing and I don't really have the patience to order from an independent bookstore and wait for it to show up. So I'm just spending a lot on Amazon eBooks and letting myself be okay with that. And not much else. 
my, well, my husband uh, my husband splurges on food i guess yes, say. i was he gonna like, say your costco runs are pretty co- infamous yeah, I, I don't he do, he goes all the grocery shopping now he's got his pandemic routine this is something that he started doing since the uh, lockdown but he's the one who goes to the grocery store and costco and all that and he definitely buys a lot more than i would my general thought is i don't like to waste food for instance and so i would underbuy so that we wouldn't have that problem whereas i think he tends to buy more stuff um, on the idea that we don't want to run out uh, so these are just various different ways of looking at the situation and uh, because of that he will often buy a lot of stuff when he goes but on the other hand i mean we don't actually throw away all that much food we have a lot of people here I mean, between, you know, seven of us and a uh, sitter, like, so eight people during the week and, you know, occasionally have like my parents over on weekends and stuff. And yeah, so it's, it's not like there's a small number of people to be fed. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Groceries. We probably relative to the average family splurge there too. I mean, I would say for you, the only other thing that comes to mind is maybe kids' activities. Like, I, I don't mm. ever imagine you denying your child, like, some camp or something they wanted to explore because of the cost. Yes, that's true. I will generally do that and not look at what the, the particular cost is for it. And we had the whole thing, you know, I chose one of these very uh, sort of pricey day camp around here, but then they canceled for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, wound up uh, rolling the tuition to next year with a credit. So I guess they're going to have to go. How about There's you? A lot of, um, I would say well, I said I skimped on income tax. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant state income tax because we, we chose sure, to live in a state true. that has no income tax and that actually has a relatively low cost of living. So I'd say that's sort of part of our skimp, at least once we that's, moved out. Yeah, of- that's true. And if we have East Coast listeners who are looking for a low cost East Coast state, I would recommend Pennsylvania. If you are not in Philadelphia, it's a flat 3% rate, um, which is much lower than, say, New York, New Jersey, and other such things. Um, the people who live, who work around Philadelphia, but choose to live on the Jersey side, that is a fairly expensive choice If you versus living on the Pennsylvania side of it outside of the city. So just putting that out there, if any East Coast listeners are are looking for options. So there you go. I also like Pennsylvania <laughs> for other reasons. Um, okay. So uh, cars, I drive a nearly 10-year-old Prius and plan to drive it until it has significant issues, which knock on some stuff. It hasn't. I use the library, although I do buy books too. And actually books, I have to say like, it's one of those splurges where like you can feel like you are treating yourself, but like it doesn't actually add up to that. No, much it's money. like 20 bucks <laughs> each, each book. Yeah. No. Like even if you're like, I'm going to buy $120 books this year. I mean, that's a lot. That would be $2,000, but you could easily buy one handbag that is $2,000. And let me tell you, I would get <laughs> I guess much. Maybe not easily. I don't think I could easily buy it. <laughs> I would feel okay. bad. I could not easily buy that either, but I have friends that do. <laughs> The, the the 200 books would bring me so much more joy. I mean, That's I true. can't That's even true. say. So, okay. So books. Uh, I splurge on my hair straightening. <laughs> I splurge on – oh, and sorry. One more savings thing is I would say that um, like the, the phones and technology and toys and clothes, especially for the kids, I, I, I used to think it was more of a splurge. But now I feel like, you know what? I don't buy that often. Like I try not to – quote unquote shop. I just buy when I'm like, oh my God, we're out of clothes. We need something. And then I don't buy like 8 million things when it comes to toys or clothes or anything like that. In fact, I hate buying toys because I feel like just from gifts and like 
hand-me-downs and stuff, we get plenty of stuff to the point where we don't need to buy anything ever. <laughs> so yeah. and our problem is like nobody around here shops for clothes. And there's a bit of an issue with this because like the kids, I mean, nobody's really going all that many places right now. So it hasn't really mattered all that much, but you know, kids like all their holes will have so- socks will have holes in them. You know, pants have holes in them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, why I, do pajama pants always get holes in the knees? Uh, we have this problem, but then I'm like, yeah, who cares? Anyway, <laughs> so um, splurge. I was going to say pre-COVID travel, childcare, 100%. I splurge on um, our school decision. To me, feels like a big splurge. Um, camps. And then I think I said straightening already. And then Sephora <laughs> sometimes. There you go. Not in a ridiculous extent, but I do like my my nice skincare. It seems to bring a disproportionate amount of pleasure. So I'm going to keep doing it. There you go. All right. Best ideas for time blocking. I'm, you know, I think we had a whole discussion what time blocking means. Uh, I guess that is choosing a chunk of time to focus on one particular activity and then another chunk of time to focus on a different activity. Um, people who really get into this will do this day after day or have a blocks during the week. And so say Monday is always morning for research and like 12 to two for administration and like two to five for meetings or something like that. And the idea is that that way, you know, there is a time devoted to a particular activity in your life. And so you make progress on all these things. And ideally, if you are only focused on that activity during this time, you can get quite a bit done. So How's that working for you, Sarah? I I don't think I'm actually an extreme time blocker in part because some of my work constraints are not really under my control. Like if I have to go to the quality and safety meeting, I don't get to like pick to when it is. But what I do in terms of time blocking is I'll look at my week. And if I know I have a big project I need to get done, I was very stressed about a project last week. I was like, where are my blank spots? Because I need to like claim it as a block for this project or it's never going to get done and I'm going to be stressed out about it. And just the act of dedicating that time, number one, took some of the stress away because I sort of knew that that's when I was going to handle it. And number two, from a practical standpoint, prevented me from putting other things in that slot so I could actually get the thing done. And so, I mean, last week I was pretty successful with this. I find it works best if I really have a goal that's important and I find myself <sighs> grading against it when maybe I didn't select my goal carefully enough. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it wasn't something that really needed to be done or it wasn't clearly defined. I had this document that I basically had to complete with all sorts of information about our residency program that took a while to compile everything and there was some writing components of it. And so I felt like the blocking worked really well when I knew it was like, I have to get this done. I also find that Breaking up a project can be helpful because if I were to put a time block and write work on my new podcast, like what does that mean? But if it's like, no, choose the logo, pick your music and record an intro. And I know like I only have two hours to do that. I'm going to have a pretty good chance of successfully focusing on what I need to do because it's been defined and it's doable. But I'm not. That's that's sort of good, basic 101 productivity advice here. Like never put work on something on your to-do list because that is so nebulous. Like what does it even mean to work on something? Like list what you're going to accomplish. Like, and so choose the music, choose the logo, buy the equipment necessary to record, whatever it is that is, uh, you know, is a set concrete task because then it is doable and you know when you are done. Whereas how do you even know if you're done on working on so-and-so? I mean, you're never done. Like you could work on it forever. Um, so it help, it, it just helps have a better sense of what it means to be, to accomplish your result. 
Yeah, I love the concept of time blocking, but like I, I also sometimes I feel like it's taken to an extreme that <laughs> does more negative than good. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'd love to hear from people, different people on how they use it and, and what works and what doesn't. I think it's interesting. All right. Question number six, tips on moving. I can talk about that one because I did do this twice. And they said specifically to a new house with a young child across country or world. Well, I have no experience world. <laughs> worldwide moves whatsoever. Um, although I will admit that we thought about it back in 2016 <laughs> and may think about it again. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'm not sure there are that many countries that um, want Americans anymore. Okay. Sorry. P too political. Anyway, uh, we moved twice, both times with toddlers. The first time, not across the country, but all the way down the coast from North Carolina to Florida. And then the second time, fairly locally, again with a toddler, but this time with three kids. And I guess my takeaway is like things, it, it's painful for like a week or so, but I mean, it's the actual act of the move and the children adjusting did not turn out to be nearly as big a deal as one might think. I actually think it's probably a lot harder with older children who have really cemented really good friendships. Like, you know, thinking about uprooting Genevieve now, like who cares? She wouldn't care. She'd be happy anywhere. But Annabelle probably would have tears and, and big emotions about, you know, some of the close friends that she's made here. So I actually think younger is probably a better time or at least an easier time. And then I'll say like the short term part is is not that bad. I would outsource whatever you possibly can, including um, if it's if there's an opportunity to put in your contract the covering of moving expenses that that kind of takes a lot of the pain out of out of outsourcing that. But the hard part for me has been because we're still not there yet, the rebuilding of social connections, because, oh, my God, that takes forever. And in a way, you don't know what you lose until you've really lost it. I mean, I, I still get sad when I get like book club invitations in Miami beach and mm -hmm. like, actually now they're on zoom. So I theoretically could go, but I don't like, <laughs> yeah, feel like a part go. of that community anymore. So it's just like weird. And I'm like, well, I don't have a book club here. Like I don't really, you know, we've been here a year and a half, but I keep reminding myself, like, I think we were in Miami beach for like four or five years before I was like, Oh, I have friends now. It took that long. And luckily we're not that far. So some of my Miami beach friends are still my friends and I can still actually see them when, you know, there's no pandemic going on, but like it takes a long time to have a tribe. And I think it's on the order of years, not months in my experience. So you have to be patient and willing to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, friendships are hard as a working parent anyway, um, in terms of they tend to get pushed to the bottom of the list. Um, so yes, it's hard when you move to make new ones, but on the other hand, it's hard to make them in the first place. So <laughs> it's, uh, um, we haven't really moved that much. So um, we moved once from New York to Pennsylvania, but the kids were four and one at the time. And, you know, it was rough at the beginning, but then, yeah, you adjust eventually and figure it out. All right. Perspectives in going from one to two children in terms of ideal spacing and impact on career. Hmm. I don't know. I think do, both of us do feel people, people keep asking this question. I wonder if they feel like there's going to be some study to be like, actually, if you have exactly 2.8 years between kids, this is the least impact on career and the most like happiness in terms of kids still interacting and, you know, you not feeling like you completely went back into the baby stage. Or whatever. 
I don't know. Like, does, do people think there's an exact answer to this? Well, there have been studies in the OB world about like the healthiest time, like the 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 spacing they will give you the least chance of complications. And I believe it's something like three or three and a half years. Don't mm. quote me on that. I am not an OBGYN. But I remember when I was pregnant with Cameron reading about that and being like, oh, no, like <laughs> <laughs> my uterus has been I- overused. <laughs> So, so I guess there is some some science on that. I, I will say, like, to me, the two, well, the impact on career, I don't know. I don't, I think that has more to do with your choices and your support system than it does on, like, the sheer number of children or the spacing. So I just don't think that that should play a big part in your decision making. But in terms of, like, lifestyle and easiness and, like, I don't know. I do feel like the baby toddler combo is a rough mix. So if you're someone who just doesn't like to be extremely acutely stressed out, like you may want to space your kids a little bit farther than that. Because when my kids were like six months and like not even three, that was really hard, much harder than say actually having three kids and having one of them be, you know, almost four years, like my baby was almost four years younger than my second youngest child. So, um, however, There's like the other side to that, which is that as they get older and age out of that very hands-on stage, kids that are closer in age might, might, no guarantees, be better playmates or be more, you know, easy to put in the same school or same activities or things like that. So then, you know, like if people have twins, there's some sort of um, savings and (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) convenience or something. So, so, you know, there's, there's like a trade-off there. Like, I think it can be hard if kids are 10 years apart, although 10-year-olds are probably pretty helpful. Hashtag chores. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Don't flame us. <laughs> um, anyway, so so I guess I I will say from a personal standpoint, I found a slightly bigger space, just a little bit more life friendly. Put it that way. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, it, it babies are always hard, and I'm definitely having a, a rough time with this little one. I mean, I'm not sleeping very well at all, and you know, the fact that he won't, I mean, I've started doing solid foods. That's good. But, you know, he has a rough time taking anything other than me. So I'm like breastfeeding around the clock. That said, it's really nice that the other four don't generally need to be watched. I feel like there's less of a sense of like constant, like, as I, you know, had when I had say a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a baby, um, that you're kind of like counting minutes, like as you're watching all of them, because it's only one who really needs the constant watching. So, you know, that's, there is something to be said for those, those larger age gaps. Um, On the other hand, yeah, as you said, the kids have more in common when they are closer together in, in age. And I do wonder, you know, if Henry will feel left out on some level, (laughs) maybe just hopefully everyone will dote on him and it'll be great. Okay. I think we have time for like one or two more, right? One more. Okay. So you choose. You're going to have to turn on your microphone, Sarah. I think you muted yourself. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that'll work better. Okay. So um, I think we should finish up with number eight here, which is because <laughs> we're both on video and I don't think we're following any of these tips right now, but no. this is, <laughs> says best video appearance tips working from home. Mm. Well, I think the first thing you want to do is good lighting and a good sort of backdrop and that perspective. Cause I mean, the lighting has more to do with how you look than pretty much anything else. And if you have bad lighting, you're going to look washed out and that's 
you know, a whole host of makeup will not help with that. Um, so, so experiment with the lighting to make sure that you've got it. Usually you want it on your face to a degree, but off to the side, it, 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 there's a whole thing with this that you have to kind of warm lighting, um, experiment, just, just, I'll say experiment. You can read up some like YouTube tutorials on, on how people who do this kind of professionally, how they set lighting up. I think lipstick goes a long way. Um, solid colors, like not too busy. You know, people who do a lot of on-camera work are told to wear kind of bright, solid jewel tones. So blue, green, you know, a nice sort of not too bubbly pink, um, like more deeper pink. Like your shirt. Well, yeah, I guess that's what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> and, you know, some people like to have a little structure around the collar that that helps frame your face uh, on a video, especially, you know, we've got a smaller screen. It doesn't matter as much when you're in a big room and having a meeting, but if you're in a small square, having some sort of collar around your face can can frame it nicely. Um, and, and if you have any sort of you know, self-consciousness about your neck for whatever reason that is, uh, that that's helpful as well for, for that perspective. Or a necklace a, could be cute yeah. too, but not if it's jangly when you like move around, that would be okay. bad. Well, and on that note, we have a, another fun of the video thing, a little visitor coming to see me. Um, that so. has happened. Yeah, I lock my door when I'm seeing patients because yesterday Genevieve walked in and someone that's dealing with their sick child doesn't necessarily want to see my cute, healthy child in the background. So, yeah. and I respect that. So I'm like, no, no kids yeah. on screen. Exactly. All right. Well, I have to go deal with this hangnail issue. Uh, so that will be the end of this episode. This has been episode 100. We didn't do a love of the week. Oh, we didn't do a love of the week. Oh, okay. Do you want to do your love of the week? I just have to come up with something very off the cuff. Oh, okay. I have this Benetint little blush that I'm not wearing right now, but it's lasted like three years and it smells like roses. And I do think a little bit of cheek color can also be helpful on your Zoom. So um, very user-friendly. You just put a couple drops and you just kind of blend it in. I don't really think you can mess it up. Um, and it comes in a cute little container with liquid and a brush. So yeah. penitent. Cool. Yeah, I've been using various skincare, um, like, you know, face. I'm not wearing makeup anymore. I gave that up with the pandemic. But um, the Thrive Cosmetics face wash and also one from Ula Henriksen. Um, I do one in the morning and one at the night, and I feel like it's helped to some degree. That's uh, me. Thrive was a sponsor, and Thrive I have just sponsor, broken Ula, into Ula that. Ula was a sponsor of one of my other podcasts, too. So oh. this is, you know, I'm trying out the stuff, and I can recommend both of them. So there yeah, you go. I just broke into my Thrive as well because it took me forever, and I really like it, actually. Yeah. So okay. there you go. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds, episode 156. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? 
And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.